All right, thank you, Mixed Ensemble. That was tremendous. And take your Bibles and turn to Second Peter chapter 1, and today we're in verses 12 through 15. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Uh, for those that don't know, Mrs. Lloyd had surgery on her arm this week, and they had to do quite extensive surgery on it, so she's at home, and, and uh, unfortunately, Brother Terry's been taking care of her. You know, the guy's great on the grill, but he is lost in the kitchen. But uh, she she sent him to the store the other day with a grocery list. And he came, went, come back, started unpacking. She gave him seven things. And so he brought it out, made sure she could see that he got all seven. It was uh, there, I think it was um, one bag of sugar, two dozen eggs, three hams, four boxes of detergent, five boxes of crackers, six eggplants, and seven green peppers. <clears throat> he had numbered them, so if I can explain that. By one, he had, uh, okay... All right. And the guy that begins laughing in the middle of the sermon when I haven't said anything funny, I know you just got it, okay? All right. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, although you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. But knowing that, shortly, I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. Now shall we pray, Father... As we look into your word today, I pray that you would make it clear and understandable. I pray that you would speak to hearts through it. I pray you would glorify your own name through it all. And then I pray, Father, that uh, anyone that is without Christ, that's under the sound of my voice today, that this would be the day they come to receive Christ as their Savior. I pray that you would just do a great and wonderful work in this message today. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. My parents, like a lot of us on this side of the aisle, uh, came out of the Great Depression. And I can remember them telling the stories of depression, but that had an effect on them. And so I, I can remember that there were things they did that would cost money that would cut back. For an example, uh, my dad, in his nice soft voice, when I'd leave a room or when my brothers leave a room, Go back and turn off that light, idiot. Okay, so uh, you know that you go back and turn off that light. You get told that enough times, you begin to turn the light off when you leave a room. As a matter of fact, I got so used to doing that. Now, I had to break the habit, but I got used to doing it, that I just turn off light, turn off light, turn off light. I've gone into public restrooms and turned off the light. The people in there didn't appreciate the frugality and saving money either, but uh, it was just a natural thing. Turn it off and hear, hey, and then, oh, 
then turn it back on. And, and I, they thought I was doing a joke. I wasn't. I, it was just a natural thing. Uh, my mother would tell us, all right, take the towel that's already been used once, and you use it to dry off the wall when you get done taking your shower. So you take a shower, dry off the wall. And um, so every Saturday night when I got my shower. Uh, but, but really, that's what she'd say to do. My wife will tell you to this day now that when I get a shower, I, I dry off the wall. It saves you from having uh, walls filled with mildew. So you dry off the wall. I had four other brothers, so if you got in the shower first on Saturday night, you were all right, because they had the last guy had to dry it off. Uh, so that, that worked out. But I'm just saying there are things that I do today that were drilled into me growing up over and over. Turn off the light, dry off the wall. Turn off the light, dry off the wall. Turn off the light, dry off the wall. Okay, and so that would happen over and over again. And we see this actually happening in our text today. There are two points from our text that I want you to see today. Now, I know a, a good Baptist has three points and a poem. That, that's what a good Baptist does. All the poems I know begin with roses are red and violets are blue, and there's not a whole lot of those that fit in here, all right? But... Uh, uh, I've got two points, and point number one is this, before I die. The Holy Ghost has impressed upon the Apostle Peter's heart to write this letter. Every word, but yet I can't help but to think that every word that the Holy Spirit breathed out to him is also words that he's written down that really also reflected his own heart. And so God used him for that. And so as we look at that, we look again at verses 12 and 13, before I die, where he says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yeah, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Now, when he says, wherefore, it means start on this right now. Don't put it off. Wherefore, you do this. Do it right now. It means to begin it right now, and it's kind of an exclamation point type of an idea in its emphasis. Again, how many times did my mom have to say dry the wall, my dad have to say turn off the light? Probably the English word would be infinity, okay? But... Uh, that finally arrived with me, okay? And I knew that's what you had to do, going in and out of the room to save money. I think that as we see something like that, though, there's a truth that comes out. There's a truth that's in child-rearing and teaching school that is something that should be a truth that we allow the Holy Ghost to do with us through the study of his word, and that is repetition is the best teacher. Okay. He keeps putting that back in your mind. He keeps putting that back in your mind. He keeps putting that back in your mind. Now, look, my mother died in 1992, but I, I still remember that. I still remember that. And so, again, when you keep 
God's word in your mind, you keep bringing it back, you keep bringing it back, you keep bringing it back, you'll find that as you think on it, those things become a part of you. Remember, of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So just think about that. Of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Um, Every local church is a church, even a good, fundamental, independent Baptist church, is a church that has a congregation of sinners. Worse, their pastor is a sinner. Okay? So, a church, a congregation, is a church of sinners who have been saved by the great grace of God. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1, the apostle Peter identified himself as one of the elders among you and what he was talking about himself in that particular passage as he was exhorting all the elders, I too am an elder, I too am a pastor, is what he was saying. He was one of the pastors of the church in Jerusalem when it began. That was what he would do. Peter had the office of pastor. And as a pastor, there were certain things. And yet, when we read the Bible, we find out some things about Peter. We read of his failures. We, we read where he came short. And yet, God was able to use him. God could use him. And God did use him. In his walk with God, he exercised his office. He knew God's direction in his life. But one of the things that we know that he found out is that he needed to feed God's flock, which he told the other elders, the other pastors in 1 Peter chapter 5 to do. You've got that office. God expects you now in that office. He expects you to feed the flock of God. He says, I've made you an overseer. Now you feed that flock. And of course, you feed them the word of God. Now, Negligence fills the church with the mildew of the world if we don't study and preach the word of God, whether it's me as the pastor or you as a congregation. If you don't stay in the word, your spiritual life will begin to to mildew. You've got to stay in the word. In John chapter 21, Peter was told three times, remember, We spoke on that a few weeks ago, but about three different times he was told to feed the sheep. Feed the sheep, feed my lambs, he said on one of those occasions. But all three times he told them to feed the sheep. You know, for him to say that three times, for the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 5 to say that, obviously, feeding the sheep, feeding on the word of God, his green pastures, his rich green pastures of his word is very, very important to God. It's of utmost importance. I read with interest years ago the testimony of a soldier who was a POW in Vietnam. And the things that the kind of rooms they had them in, little huts and things like that, that They were separated by walls, but uh, not the best ventilation or anything of that nature. 
And we can remember seeing them coming back when they were brought back and they looked like walking skeletons, many of them. But one of those guys said they had the 10 cups and they would use those 10 cups to beat things on the wall. What they were beating, what their code was beating out Bible verses. One of the things he said, I wish I had memorized more of God's word because we weren't allowed to have a Bible. And so because they weren't allowed to have a Bible, all they could do is try to remember the verses they knew. And they were using those for strength and for help and for encouragement. And I wonder, would I be able to tap out accurately the word of God? How much have I memorized? How much have I thought on? How much has meant anything to me? No, they didn't have a Bible. But it reminded me of Timothy when I read that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The scriptures brought him around. Now, some people will show their uttermost ignorance by saying, he didn't have the King James Bible, did he? Huh? And, you know, if you're that ignorant, don't say anything. Don't prove it. If you set quiet, problems tell us a lot of times people think you're intelligent. But look, the King James is translated from the uh, Texas Receptus for the New Testament, the Masoretic for the Old Testament. They didn't have the completed New Testament in that day. But they did have the Old Testament. And there's no contradiction between the two. They had a King James as far as the text of it. That's why we use the King James here. Now, you're saying, oh, is this a sermon on the King James? No, it's a sermon on the fact, have the right Bible is one thing. But that's only one thing. Being in it regularly, meditating on it is important. Have the right Bible. Don't meditate in something that's not right. Okay, have the right Bible. There was... uh, some people in the college that actually took some of these new translations and read, read through the new translations. And the, the idea behind it is it's kind of like abortion. Remember, abortion was only in case if there was rape or incest. Remember that? Is that the only reason they do it today? Uh-uh. See, that was a big lie. And another big lie is about translating the Bible. Because when they did this, what they found out, the King James, since it was written on a fifth grade level, actually was easier to understand than the translations they made. Now, does King James have thee and thou? Yes, it does. Hast? Yes, it does. Don't, don't you think we ought to change uh, Shakespeare? Where are you, dude? Instead of, wherefore art thou? I mean, you say, where are you, dude? I mean, it doesn't say thou. Boy, if you say thou and doing Shakespeare, they'll never understand it. I'm just trying to demonstrate how ignorant people 
that have degrees behind their name don't have wisdom. They may have a lot of knowledge, but they don't have wisdom. Now, your wisdom doesn't come from me. It comes from the word of God. It comes from God. James says to ask of God. That's where wisdom comes from. Stay in the word. Now, memorize that word. Think on that word. A lot of times some of us say, well, we just can't memorize. Some are a lot better at it. But I tell you what, if you read it enough, it can come back to mind, and the Holy Ghost can use that as you think on it and meditate on it. Now, what are these things that he wanted them to stay in remembrance? Well, those things are found in verses 1 through 11. They are of great doctrinal importance. And those things are, first of all, in those first few verses there, all men are saved the same way Peter was saved, the same way Paul was saved, the same way John was saved. And on you can go down the line, they were saved the same way you and I are saved, by the grace of God, by faith in the shed blood, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the way they're saved. That's the way I was saved. And that's the way anybody that's in here under the sound of my voice is saved. You see, I'm not good enough to go to heaven. I'll never deserve to go to heaven, but I'm going to heaven by the grace of God. I won't be accepted on my works. I'll be accepted on the work of Jesus Christ in my behalf. My heart believed unto the righteousness, but not my righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. And so Ephesians 1, 6 says, I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm accepted in Jesus Christ. So yes, again, uh, let's just stick with the Word of God and let the Word of God teach us and keep it in mind. You are saved like anybody else is saved. He lets us know that we have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust by His divine power. Faith was what you had to do. It wasn't a work. Faith was to believe that Jesus did all the work in order to save your soul. That's what faith included. When you by faith received Christ, for as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. When you received Christ as your Savior, then he, you fulfilled what faith is supposed to do is act upon what Christ did for you. But then the next thing, the very next thing, in verses 5 through 7 says, all right, now that you're saved, now that you know Christ is your Savior, and of course, uh, after you get saved, first thing after salvation is baptism. It, baptism shows you died, was, uh, that he died for you, was buried and rose from the dead. It shows that you're dead to an old life and risen to walk in a new life. There are a lot of people who have a problem with that. I don't want to get baptized. All those people that Jesus got baptized publicly before thousands. And he didn't have to be baptized, but it was fulfilling all righteousness. That's why I'm accepted in the beloved because he fulfills all righteousness. And if he tells me to get baptized, first command after I'm saved is get baptized. Why not do it? Get over your pride. Get over yourself and get it all on Jesus Christ. And you'll find out that is a whole lot better. All right. Now, verses five through seven, he starts telling us things to add to our life. Look at it again. And. Uh, besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Okay. These are things that we're to add to our life 
meditate on those in accordance with the word of God and just daily make them stronger. Wherefore, act on it. Do it. Do it. Do it. It's what he's telling us to do. And if we'll do it, he tells us in verse 8 that we'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that reminds me of another verse 8, but it's in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, he says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if, if, that's a condition on thinking on those things, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, Think on these things. That's what the Bible says. And if you learn to do that, you'll find that I will look into the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. Psalms 121, verse 1. Look unto the Lord, and he will meet your need. Matter of fact, when you think on those things, those truths are the kind of uh, uh, verse 8 that empowers the engine, you might say, of our spiritual life by the Holy Ghost. And we are responsible to keep these things in mind. That's what he's saying. He said, my ministry now at the end of my life is to help you to keep these things in mind. Verse 9 lets us know if you don't, something's going to happen. Wherefore, he's, uh, excuse me, verse 9 says, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. You know why you have doubts of salvation? You wonder, did I really get saved? Is because instead of being on these things, meditating on those things, you're out in the world doing the things of the world, and you get away from God and you don't have the power and peace of God upon you, then you begin to doubt your salvation. Okay, so it's only natural that happens because you go in these other directions. So stay in God's word that it might keep you on the right uh, path. Then verse 10 lets us know that if we do these things, if we keep these things in our mind and we do them, then you're not going to doubt. You're not going to be one who is saved so as by fire. If you do these things, you shall not fall. You're not going to fall back into failure and that life of sin. Yes, we sin daily. But you're not going to fall back into those things of utter defeat when you can be used of God. God wants to use you. He loves you and he wants to use you. And when he uses you, it brings greater glory in eternity for you as well as bringing glory to God. Now, having said that, in verse 12, we say it again, though ye know them and be established in the present truth. Okay, they know these things. We've gone over these. You said, well, yeah, I know that. We read that. We did that. We went over there here just uh, in the last few weeks. So, yeah, we know that. We're established. We believe these things. But verse 13, he is saying that as long as he lives in this body, he calls it a tabernacle, He wants to stir up by 
putting them in remembrance. Now, if you read these things to be added in verses 5 through 7, and then you begin to see all that is written in these first 11 verses, and you believe them, but you do not practice them. You believe them, but you're not really trying to add these things to your life. You're not really trying to practice these things in your life. You believe them, but you don't do them. Then all you have is a doctrinal statement in your Christian life. See, you get saved by faith, but you also live your Christian life by faith. You could have believed, the devils believe and trembled, the book of James tells us. So you can believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead. You can believe that and not get saved because you don't receive him. You don't exercise faith. You don't do what he says to do in repentance and belief. And in the same way as a Christian, you can be saved, but saved so as by fire, ashamed at his appearing, because even though you believe these things, don't act on them. If you don't act on them, then you are just saved by Christ and a carnal Christian at best. And by the way, one of the things that shows that a person has a lack of love in their heart, if there's any at all, one of the biggest pieces of evidence of that is when somebody says, as long as I'm saying I'm going to heaven, that's all I care about. That shows you don't have a lot of love for God. You don't have a lot of love for Christ. Not really thankful in this Thanksgiving season that he died on the cross for our sins and was buried and rose from the dead. He paid a penalty that you could not pay. You could die for your sin, but you couldn't raise out of hell for your sin. He had the power to lay it down. He had the power to take it up again. That was our Jesus. And can't we love him for that? Can't we love him for that? And so, you want more in the doctrinal uh, statement. Strengthen these things in your mind and allow the Holy Ghost to direct in your heart how to do these things in your daily life as you study the read, uh, the Word of God. You know, a few years ago, well, it's quite a few years ago now, I was living in Pensacola at the time. We had a guy that had a tri-pacer plane, and I flew with him on several occasions, but I, I would not have any idea how to fly a plane, but I like going up. But one day he was having fun in his plane, and he buzzed his house it was out in the country and then he banked and his engine went sputtered and went off he had forgotten to check the tanks when he left except he knew he had one that was fairly near empty but the other one was quite full so when he banked it cut off and there wasn't enough time because he's so low to get the other one going he put his airplane down in a cow pasture and took out a little bit of the farmer's fence and did some damage to his airplane. But he was all right. His young son was in the plane with him. He was all right. And I was all right, too, because I never flew with him again. Um, I wasn't with him on that one, but I never flew with him after that, okay? Uh, but what I'm saying is, is that uh, he forgot. He forgot. The biggest failures in our Christian life is when we forget the things of God. A Christian 
When you begin to forget, it can cost you eternal reward. It can obtain for you shame at his appearing, saved so as by fire. And it's interesting that in this verse he says to stir you up. You know that word stir, that phrase stir you up means to wake up. (laughs) How many people woke up? Uh, Wake up. Wake up immediately. You're in danger. Danger is nearby. And that's what he's saying. Now, he's taught them these things. They know these things. And yet, he says, I will keep you in remembrance of these things. You need to know these things. You need to act on these things. But not only do we see before I die, next we see after I die. That's in verses 14 and 15. Knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. Now, when a Christian loves God, he wants to finish how the Lord Jesus Christ would have him finish. Therefore, he's in the word and he's obedient to the word. Doing what the Holy Ghost would lead him to do. You know, sometimes your ministry changes. My dad was your pastor for 19 years. But there came a point where he could teach and he could do some other things, but he could not do it. His ministry changed, but he still served the Lord. Sometimes your ministry changes, but you can serve the Lord. Look. One of the great powers of Central Baptist Church are people that are shut in praying for this ministry daily. And the power of prayer is accomplishing much. We need to understand that. Notice he says, put off my tabernacle. The tabernacle is his body. You remember in John chapter 1 verse 14 where he says, uh, in in that particular uh, passage is that the word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. But when he said the dwelt among us. That word dwelt. Was the same word that's translated. Tabernacle. Jesus body was a tabernacle for his spirit. Just like your body and my body. Is a tabernacle for our spirit. When we die. It's only our body they put in the ground. Your spirit is going to be either in heaven or it's going to be in hell, but nothing in between. One or the other. The rich man. We know the story in Luke. The rich man is in hell. He's not in hell because he's rich. He's in hell because he wasn't saved. I don't think rich men can be saved. And I guess we've got to get rid of Abraham. Got to get rid of Job. There's other men in the New Testament. You got to get rid of them because they were rich. So again, understand it was because he wasn't saved that he was in hell. But let me ask you this question. Where is that rich man today? He's still in hell. You don't cease to exist. You never finally pass away. The spirit of that person 
is still there. Are you 100% sure if you died today that your fully conscious spirit would be with God saved or would your spirit fully conscious be tormented in hell? Man, if you don't know that today, you better make sure of it. Today is the day, and now is the time of salvation. Now, as the Lord has showed me, he goes back to John 21, when Peter said, as the Lord has showed me, when the Lord told him how he would die. So in verse 15, Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. As a result of these things, knowing that he's going to die very shortly, boy, he is going all out about the Lord's business. Look, I've watched men die, and, and I've seen them near the end of their life, and they're trying to make sure they have their household in order. And all things are taken care of. He says, I will endeavor. That word endeavor means that he'll make an all-out effort. Isn't it great how the Holy Ghost breathed every word? Amen. He breathed out every one of these words. Now, they're still, they're still, because he breathed out every word, they're still applicable today. They're still powerful today because he breathed them out and it gives us understanding. But he also said, after my decease. After my decease. Now, he's making an all-out effort to keep them in uh, remembrance of these things, uh, verses 1 through 11, but he's going to be going home. He wants them to keep these things in mind. Just like God wants us to keep these things in mind. After my decease... You know, the word decease also, the Greek word was sometimes translated exodus. Is that interesting? Exodus. When Israel left Egypt, they left the bondage of the world, the bondage of sin. By the way, Egypt is usually a picture of the world in the Bible, of worldliness. So when they left the bondage of the world... They was going to a land of milk and honey, the land of promise for a saved man. But many of them died in the wilderness, freed from bondage, but not able to enter all the wonderful promises and rewards that God had for them. Being saved so as by fire means that you can go, you will go to heaven, but without reward. What a shame when you've been saved for years. That's a shame. Yes, the Lord will take you to heaven when you die. But don't die in the wilderness of life and end up saved so as by fire. Now, he wants you to have all these things in remembrance even after he's dead. This is important. They've got to keep these things in their mind. It will be between you and the Holy Ghost to keep these things in your mind. Look, don't ever, 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 ever put your faith in a preacher. Always keep your faith in the Word of God. 
and His Holy Ghost. I can mislead you. My mind can go in other directions, but the Holy Ghost will never mislead us. That's why we try to say that this church is built on the Word of God, not a denomination. Yes, we're Baptists. Because Baptists are the closest to the Word of God as far as I'm concerned. But understand, it's God's Word. It's not the Baptist Word. It's God's Word. And it's through this Word that we come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. So He wants you to have these things always in remembrance. That you might finish well. It gives me no joy if I have anybody under my pastorate where where God has called me to pastor and to preach. There's no joy, none whatever, when somebody is saved so as by fire. Even if that person has opposed me with every breath, there's no joy in that because it does not bring glory to God. So keep this first chapter in mind that you might finish well. Keep it in mind. But keep it in mind also, if you're not sure if you died today, you're not 100% sure if you died today, that you, would, uh, that you would go to heaven, that your spirit would be with him. Let me tell you something. One second after death is too late. You say, well, how can I be sure? God doesn't lie. And he says, if you'll come to him, he would in no wise cast you out. He'd have to lie, wouldn't he? And he is immutable. That is, he's unchanging. He never lies. So there's only one thing to know for sure. <laughs> you know, death and taxes, they've always said, one, it's always sure there's death and taxes, but really, there's some people who've never paid taxes, so they're not sure. And one day the rapture is going to take place, so that's not going to happen. But one thing that is sure is this. Saved or unsaved, every one of us will give an account of himself unto God. One day God is going to make his final call. Are you prepared to meet God? The day is coming when the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. The Bible tells us it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Are you prepared to meet thy God? Shall we bow our heads?